Welcome to the Triumphal Feast Podcast, a ministry of Elder Bryce Lowrance speaking to you from the pulpit of Mount Perrin Primitive Baptist Church in Social Circle, Georgia. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. Woo, this sounds like some doors, doesn't it? Mount Perrin Primitive Baptist Church meets regularly two times a week. Our regular worship service is on Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Eastern, and our Wednesday evening Bible study is at 7 p.m. Eastern. If you would like to attend in person, we are located at 3749 Mount Perrin Church Road, Social Circle, Georgia, 30025. For more information about these services online or Mount Perrin Primitive Baptist Church, please visit our website at mppbc.com. Today we will hear the conclusion of the message, How Do We Pray for the Ministry? The book of Acts records the Apostle Paul's three main preaching journeys that he took spreading the Word of God. We find in this pattern that Paul only went where God had opened doors for him to preach and each time it was a beneficial trip. Paul followed the leadership of God, not the ideas of men or a mission board. Paul answered only to the Lord through his home church of Antioch, to which he returned after each preaching trip. It is the duty of each church member to pray that the Lord gives ministers the opportunity to share the good news of the finished work of Jesus Christ, and that they present it clearly to those who have never heard it before. Christ has given us a precious gift. It is only fitting that we tell others what great things he has done for us. We will return to the message after this hymn.
time's sake, I'll just kind of summarize what happens next. Paul ends up going back to Antioch, finishes this journey. In the meantime, he comes through Ephesus, meets some folks there, leaves some folks there, and heads on to Antioch. There's an excellent lesson right there for any man that feels he is called to preach the gospel in some place other than his hometown. If a man feels like he is called to preach the gospel in Africa or the Philippines or in India, then he should look at the lesson of the Apostle Paul and see how he did it. Every single time he went back to his home church, the Apostle Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, answered to a local church. Not a missionary society, not his own corporation, he answered to the pillar and ground of the truth, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Even the Apostle Paul did. So man that goes off on his own without the authority of a church, I doubt he has been called of God to do that. As we used in Texas to say, that wasn't a long distance call. It was a local call, and it was something his mama talked him into most likely, or pride. Paul bids them farewell, goes back to Antioch. While he is there, a man named Apollos comes through Ephesus. Apollos only knows the baptism of John. And Apollos doesn't even know all of the baptism of John. Because John's disciples heard John say, I must decrease and he must increase. John's disciples said, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. John's disciples were there present or at least heard about God descending in the form of a dove, the Spirit of God descending in the form of a dove on the Son of God and the Father God speaking from heaven. They understood the Spirit. We know Apollos didn't because when he preached to these folks at Ephesus, he didn't preach about the Spirit. Matter of fact, they're going to testify, we hadn't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So he had a very incomplete doctrine. Priscilla and Aquila help him with that. Paul goes on his third preaching trip, I believe we're at now, and he comes to Ephesus and finds this group that seem to be wanting to follow the Lord, but their doctrine is messed up. How often do we say that about people that go to churches that aren't primitive Baptists? They're wanting to follow the Lord, but their doctrine's messed up. You're not going to find the Apostle Paul ridicule them a single time. You're not going to find the Apostle Paul bad-mouthing their baptism. But you are going to find the Apostle Paul baptizing them again in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It means whatever baptism they had, it was not under the doctrine of the finished work of Jesus Christ. So he baptizes them again. Now why do I mention this? I mention this, just keep your finger there in Acts 19. And turn with me briefly over to 1 Corinthians 16. Because here's what Paul writes about this experience here.
1 Corinthians 16. Before we look at everything that happened at Ephesus, here's what Paul says about what happens at Ephesus. Verse 8, But I will tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost. For a great door and effectual is open unto me, and there are many adversaries. What you're going to find is every place that Paul has an open door, there's a lot of adversaries. Why? Because if you preach a watered-down doctrine, the world doesn't care. But if you preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified, and that's the final story, the world hates it, and most Christian denominations hate it. Because it leaves out man's will. It leaves out man's desires. It leaves out name it, claim it. It leaves out whatever men's philosophies you want to mix in there. Paul says, I'm going to stay at Ephesus. Because a great door, an effectual has been opened to me. And there's many adversaries. Huh? They go hand in hand. So when we're praying for an open door, <laughs> we need to realize what we're praying for. A church that's praying for revival, you know what it's praying for? It's praying for broken people to come through those doors. Not people that have their lives together or that seem to have their lives together. Let me help you out with that. If a person says, I've got my life together, the Bible calls them a Pharisee. Because them that are whole need not a physician, but them that are sick. If you don't see the need for a physician, then you're a Pharisee. And so when we're praying for revival, and we need to be praying that here at Mount Perrin, we are praying, Lord, send the brokenhearted. Send those whose lives, they have destroyed themselves or have been destroyed by others. Lord, send them to us so that we can give them the balm of Gilead that is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that we present it to them in such a loving way that they don't think we're judging them. But we are there with them, and we are sinners as well. That's what Paul said about Ephesus. First thing Paul does at Ephesus is the entire church that's there, he rebaptizes. <laughs> what do you think people think about that today? They didn't think about it much different back then. But these folks willingly. Why? Because they saw the logic in it that there was a hole in their doctrine before, that it was incomplete. And when they heard the full gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, they readily accepted, dunk me again, <laughs> baptize me again. And then it all went fine. He preached in the synagogue there for three months. And then he went to the school of Tyrannus. For two years. What? This is the place, other than in prison, that the Apostle Paul spent the most time. And it started with an act of rebaptism and then went this way. In verse 13, we find certain of the vagabond Jews. <laughs> That's not a very good term, is it? These guys were renegades. We find the seven sons of Sceva. There were adver adversaries. Here's some of them. 
And these exorcists heard Paul use this name, Jesus Christ, and tried to work it into their incantations. You see, there are many religions, some Christian denominations among them, that have a man's made incantation of how salvation works, and they just plug in Jesus Christ's name. Because it's not what we do. These seven sons of Sceva say, <laughs> this demon says, Paul, we know, and Jesus we know, but who are you? One man whips up on seven guys. Paul comes in and helps. So we have a doctrinal dispute that starts. Then we have a bad practice thing that's happening that Paul's got to deal with. But then look at verse 20. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. Why? Because Paul went where God told him to go. He is now outside his normal routine. He is preaching both in the streets and he is preaching in the school of Tyrannus. His two areas of ministry he mentions over in Acts 20 and verse 20. Then what happens after this? We, we have a doctrinal dispute. Then we have a problem with a practice. And then we get folks that turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and realize their former lives were horrible. And they don't want their former lives influencing anybody else. And so they take their own books of witchcraft and burn them. Notice how that happens. This was not Hitler taking books away from people and burning them. This was people recognizing the evil things that were in their hands and burning them themselves. They didn't go sell them to a used bookstore because they would have influence on other people. They got rid of them. We should do the same thing. Well, how's that go? Well, there's some fellas that make a lot of money off of making idols. And you've got people not only burning books of witchcraft, you've got them casting out idols, throwing them away. And so the silversmiths, this is the major industry of Ephesus. And the apostle Paul is preaching and converting people out of it. And so there is a riot. They stir up the people. They take some of Paul's friends. They drag them to beat them. Paul says there's a great door and effectual, but many adversaries. And Paul said, I plan to stay there. And he did for three years. And when he traveled back home, he went back through there. And he meets with the elders at Ephesus. Did he leave for a time? Yes. Things settled down. But Paul didn't stop. Folks, we learned this. The devil is not omniscient. He doesn't know all things. He hates all human beings, especially those that want to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't know your heart, but he's very good at judging your actions. And so when he sees people moving toward Jesus, he knows that's the spread of the gospel kingdom and he doesn't want to have anything to do with it and so he attacks it. 
I don't think it's an accident one bit that there has been a revival of compositions of good quality hymns and another generation of preachers coming up that put my generation to shame. I'm just going to say it. They're solid Bible students. They're not afraid to talk to the enemy. And they do it in a loving way. And they're bold. It's not an accident at all. Because if we look at the history of Israel, before the enemy came, the prophet came. Why? Because when there is an open door to preach, the enemy is going to come attacking. And the greater the attack of the enemy, the bigger progress that's happening to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's think about that. Mount Perrin, let's think about that. How many churches do we know of that have stopped meeting? How many folks do we know of that have stopped coming? Because the devil has attacked. He's made it easy on them. They've made it easy to be distracted. But why do his attacks keep coming? You'd, you'd think, well, the devil won. But his attacks keep coming. Why? Because the kingdom is spreading. You get it? Do you get what I'm saying? Here in Walton County, the kingdom is spreading. Because his attacks haven't stopped. So that means we need, if he's doubled down, we need to double down. We need to keep praying and watching and give thanksgiving and realize that God is at work. That just like in Ephesus, excuse me, just like in Corinth, God has much people in this area. And just like in Ephesus, it's going to be met with resistance, but we don't give up. Paul wrote, Paul wrote the letter to the Colossians about the same time he wrote the letter to the church at Ephesus. Very similar topics. He asked for the same things. He is writing them about eight to ten years after he has been in Ephesus and in Corinth. And he's now in prison in Rome. Oh, by the way, while Paul is preaching and the kingdom of God is spreading in the very heart of the Roman Empire. Greece, Macedonia, these are areas that the Roman Empire had held for so long, the kingdom is spreading. Right in the middle of all that, I believe it was a 15-year-old boy became the emperor of Rome. His name was Nero. That's the man that will eventually behead the Apostle Paul. But Paul kept going. Pretty good chance Paul got to Spain before Nero got to him. Or at least the gospel got there. Before Paul is killed, the gospel probably got to Wales, which eventually brought it over here. Why? Because Paul left the synagogue and went next door. Paul changed his routine because God told him to. The church prayed for an open door and it opened and it was effectual and the enemy hated it. Turn with me over to Revelation. And we'll close out with this. Revelation chapter 3. The church in Philadelphia. We have a city called Philadelphia. 
Its nickname is the what? The city of brotherly love. Because that's what Philadelphia means. It's not that way anymore. But the preaching of the gospel is to be with love. As we know from going through the book of Galatians with Jonah a few months ago, and he mentioned it on Wednesday night, faith worketh by love. So it's perfect to go to the church in Philadelphia. And to the angel, of this is uh, Revelation 3, 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. Ooh, this sounds like some doors, doesn't it? The one that holds the key of David, who is that? That's Jesus Christ sitting on the throne, the King of kings and the Lord of lords who opens doors and nobody can shut them, who shuts doors and nobody can open them. I know thy works. Philadelphia, behold, I have set before... Notice this, folks. I have set before thee an open door and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength and hast kept my word and hast not denied my name. That's not an insult when he says you have a little strength. He's saying you got it. You've got the faith. You have kept my word. You're preaching the truth. You haven't denied my name. When all the persecutions of whatever emperor it was at that time, all of them were bad by that point. He said, I've opened a door. Philadelphia, persecution is all around you, but I've opened a door. What is he talking about? He says, preach on. Church, preach on. Because I've opened a door and no man can shut it. And what is the result? I want you to look very closely. It is not that the evil people leave. It is not that we get a change of government in Washington. Notice what that open door allows to happen. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet and to know that I have loved thee. Their very enemies, God says, I'm changing their hearts. Those that tried to kill you, I have changed their hearts. Go preach to them. And when it says they'll come worship at thy feet, that doesn't mean that they're going to have power over them. That means they're worshiping right there with you. Do you see that, folks? Do we want to change in our world? Then we need to pray that the Lord open a door. Because when he does, he takes a man that's breathing out threatenings and slaughter and he makes him the Apostle Paul. Why, why do we think that he's any different today? The change that we want is that the kingdom of Christ be prevalent. If that's not what we want, then we need to change because that's what God wants. And when God opens that door, he takes the hearts of those that we cannot change. He melts them. But folks, he wrote this letter and he says, keep going. Don't stop. Because you can't shut this door. 
No man can. I have opened it. Now, Mount Perrin, my charge, God's charge to us is God has opened a door. If God has opened a door, are we going to go help those that are in need? Or are we going to let somebody else do it with an incomplete doctrine, with an incomplete hope, with an incomplete understanding of who Jesus Christ really is? Or are we? We're going to walk through that door. Are we going to pray that the Lord has opened it? Are we going to watch and see that he has opened it? And then with thanksgiving. So let me tell you about my Lord. Let me tell you about the Jesus that you need to know. Are we going to be willing to say, come and see? Are we going to be willing to say, come and hear about a man who's told me everything about me. That's evangelism, folks. See, when Paul is praying for an open door, he's praying for Priscilla and Aquila to be there to show him that the doors are opened. And he's praying for Timothy and Titus to show up. And he's praying that the Lord make himself manifest. And he's praying and he's asked us to pray. That not only we recognize that the door is open, but that we have the right message and that we say it in the right way. When we're praying for our gospel ministers, we're praying that we have the courage as well. Do you see that? Because we're praying that God's kingdom be manifest here. We're not praying for a church of a thousand. We're praying for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't know that number. We're not concerned about that number. We just want people to know that the kingdom of heaven is still at hand. May the Lord bless you all is my prayer. We hope this edition of Triumphal Feast has been a blessing to you. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and visit our website at mppbc.com for further resources, including our devotional blog, Little Brother's Thoughts on the Bible. Until next time, may the Lord richly bless you all is our prayer.